You are Locked On Hawks, your daily Atlanta Hawks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, friends, and welcome to episode 635 of the Locked On Hawks podcast. I am your host, Brad Rowland. It is Friday evening, and uh, for most people, that might seem strange to talk about the NBA on a Friday night in October, but not for myself and my guest this evening, a frequent guest of the podcast, Tower Jones is here. What's up, man? It's good to be back. Ah, it's good for basketball to be back. You know, it's... Ooh, I've I've missed it. You know, we don't we don't need to get in we don't need to get into the Braves. Um, no, we don't. Embarrassing myself for caring. I that's on me. I apologize for caring about the Braves. I will cease to do that for a while. Hopefully, I don't get back on that narcotic. I've ceased to care about the Braves. Like I don't care about the Falcons anymore. Best decision I've made. The Braves might be harder to kill, though, since they were my first love in Atlanta. So that's <laughs> it's going to be a bit tough for me, but I think I I think I can manage. Um, just on some personal news, I am not dying. Uh, I, uh, I I've had a issue, medical issue with my ear that's been spiraling and it's cost me a lot of money, but I'm good to go. Uh, so there's no issues on that front and. One last thing, uh, you know, the biggest story going on, you know, in the NBA is uh, the issue going on with China. And if you have an athletic uh, subscription, I highly advise you to uh, read the recent piece that Ethan Sherwood Strauss just put out. Um, I thought it was fairly, fairly insightful on what the NBA and what uh, certain individuals in the NBA NBA should be doing um, moving forward after, you know, after the you know Lakers and Nets come back from China during this trip, and uh, you know, I, I just think in general, I just think we we all should be a bit more informed of what's going on in the world, and with China in particular, not just in regards of in the NBA, but in regards to you know a lot of things and how and how they operate and how that affects us here in the states. So, just want to get all that off off my chest before we start talking about the Hawks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a good, uh, I agree. And, uh, Ethan's, Ethan's great at his job. So check that out for sure. Uh, that was an interesting look at some things that are not always discussed, which is good. Um, we're gonna talk about the Hawks as we, you know, often do, or I guess usually do on this podcast, but, uh, yeah, definitely good to have thoughts beyond that. Cause, uh, it's a good thing to discuss. Um, you know, it's interesting. We've we've seen two preseason games for the Hawks. It's always important to keep things in perspective, and uh, we both understand that. So for the listener, we we understand. We've seen two, two preseason games. There isn't, um, you know, the takeaways that we're going to come up with here are, are real takeaways, but they are certainly couched, at least for me, through the prism of two preseason games. But uh, we do have some you know, some basketball to discuss, which is very nice. I've, I've had my brief sort of recap shows on those two games, but haven't like dived deeper into what's gone on. Um, let's start with the first thing that I think has been discussed the most. And we'll come there. There've been some broad topics discussed for sure. Like we'll get, we'll get to the rookies at some point soon, but I think the most discussed thing for the Hawks, um, and you can correct me if you disagree based on the coverage that I haven't seen, maybe is the turnovers. Um, so let's, let's start with there. And, you know, a, I don't necessarily care about this all that much right now, but 
the Hawks do have a 25% turnover rate uh, <laughs> through, through, through two games, which is essentially impossible. Um, last year, when we when you and I and others discussed ad nauseum how bad the turnovers were for the first you know, three, four months of the season, the Hawks were the worst team in the league at like 18%. Um, so 25% is like mind-blowing. It, it's a two-game sample, so that's that's why it's so high. But the next the next worst, even the preseason, is twenty two percent in the league. So it's been a problem. Um, it's kind of submarine their numbers to this point. Like the Hawks scored basically um, less than a point per possession in the first two games, uh, about an eighty nine offensive rating. That is you know really really bad. But it's preseason, and, and basically it's it's all traced to the turnovers. Um, and they're not going to be that bad. Will, will they turn on the ball over too much? Probably this season. I would guess yes. But it's not going to be this bad, and if you're looking at like the big picture numbers so far, that is a number that you can not throw out, but pretty much ignore the points per possession when you're turning the ball over that much because there's nothing, there's nothing you can really do to fix that. Um, you, unless you're shooting, unless you're just shooting the absolute lights out, you basically can't win turning the ball over as much as they have the first two games. So uh, we kind of know that. But what do you make of that? And then we can sort of transition into the overall offense of what we've seen so far. Yeah, I, I mean, I'm kind of in. A, I'm in one-to-one agreement with you on regards to the turnovers. It's preseason. I don't care. A lot of, I mean, a lot of these turnovers are just dumb, like dumb mistakes. The type of mistakes I like. John Collins, um, just for example, against Orlando, had a couple that were just fundamentally bad. Like it's, like just just the type of. The type of mistakes you're not going to see in the regular season, I'll put, I'll put it that way. They've been called for a couple of travels, a couple of carries, uh, offensive fouls that, you know, they're probably not going to call in the regular season. It's just, you know, there's new mandates of how the league is going to call call certain things and the Hawks, you know, are going through an adjustment period. But it seems like a lot of the turnovers are happening due to guys who haven't played with each other. Um, um, I want to highlight DeAndre Bembry and Jabari Parker in particular. Both of them are trying to make the right read, the right play, but you know the, the chemistry just isn't there. And they're also playing, you know, they're playing lineups that that aren't functionally going to be in the rotation. Evan Turner and Kevin Herter have not played a single minute of preseason. You would factor that those guys are going to be easily in the top six and you know top six or top seven in minutes, depending on how well Jabari Parker ends up uh, functioning in this rotation. You know, gu- guarantee that Kevin Hurt is definitely in there. Yes. And Everton Turner is a part of that, too. And they haven't played. And, you know, Charlie Brown's played a lot. You know, we're playing two centers. Uh, you know, two centers are playing together and Damian Jones and Bruno Fernando because, they, you know, they just don't have the bodies and they need guys to play with all the injuries going on. Vince Carter's playing the three. A lot just because you know Herder's not there and Turner's not there, so they need to get minutes out of, out of you know these guys so that they can fill fill out the rotation to what they want to do. Um, I you know I'm not the biggest fan of Alan Crabb. I, I would suspect that he would probably be soundly in the rotation, possibly as the tenth, eleventh guy, depending. Um, Chandler Parsons hasn't played played a minute, and he's probably ahead of some of the guys that we've seen play currently in the rotation. So it's just. You know, it, it's difficult. Like, it's difficult to judge on the macro sense. On the micro, Trey Young definitely has to be. I think we can pinpoint uh, Trey Young in particular. He has to be uh, stronger with the basketball. Um, you know, he's he's doing a lot of jump passing for some reason, not keeping his dribble when he absolutely can. Uh, Lloyd Pierce uh, in the AJC, um, you know, gave a pretty good answer where you know he wants Trey Young to gnash it where. 
if you remember when Nash went baseline, he always kept his dribble alive. He never, he was never in a hurry. He never like he didn't do jump passes that you see Trey Young doing. Like Trey, for whatever reason, Trey is just stopping his dribble when he clearly has an advantage and just you know dribbling himself into turnovers essentially. So um, I think that's something that Trey Young can easily clean up. He has the talent to you know quote unquote Nash it. So I'm not I'm not too concerned with him, but he. He's probably um, the big, you know, he's the big driver on the turnovers. And then John Collins as well in particular, just because it is very clear clear that Collins is functionally um, in a different role than what he was last season. Um, we, You know, I think that's something we can talk about. But, yeah, for sure. you know, last year he was purely a finisher. And now he's being asked to do a lot more with the ball in his hands. Um, and so there... I can I can totally see his turnover percentage spiking up uh, based on his role. Yeah, I mean they're definitely trying a lot of things in the preseason, which is what the preseason's for. Um, you know the offense has changed a little bit compared to last season. They're running different stuff, um, a, a lot less just pure high pick and roll stuff with Trey that you might see hit them run more often during the season when he's obviously you know he's far and away the number one creator. So when it gets down to money time, I'd imagine that's still going to be the main offense. But they're doing a lot of different things right now, and you know that puts you in weird positions. And that's probably a good thing in the big picture sense. Uh, going back to Trey real quick, you know he he he, he owned it on uh, Wednesday night. He uh, he swore in his answer to uh, about turnovers to the media on Wednesday in the locker room. Uh, he has 16 turnovers in 55 minutes, I think it is, which is just like you know a comical amount. Um, you know the, the, the assists have been there and they're always going to be there. He has 18 assists, I believe, which is uh, even more or 16 assists, something like that. So it's not like he's not been making plays, but he's giving the ball away at a rate where you just can't handle it. Like I've been on record as saying I don't really worry about turnovers with Trey, but this is a, this is a level where <laughs> you have to worry. Um, I, don't, yeah. I don't, I'm not worried about it translating over to the season, especially when he seemed very frustrated about it on Wednesday. But um, you know he is the number one turnover ass so far. So. I guess if there's anybody on the team that you don't mind it from that much, it's probably Trey Young. But still, that's going to have to chill out a little bit. Um, to the offense, and, go ahead. And just just quick with Trey, to be fair to him, teams are also blitzing him in the pick and roll um, in preseason. I, I don't know what's going on with some of these teams in preseason. Like I, like I, I guess they're trying to get ready for the regular season. That's how they're going to guard Trey. So I can imagine like there's probably some adjustment going on with what Trey should be doing during these circumstances that are, you know, that he's going to be dealing with. But uh, I'm not like, like you, I'm not too concerned. He's going to get it under control. He's, you know, he's a smart basketball player. He knows what he needs to do and it's just about executing. Um, And, you know, I think, I think having her on the floor will help tremendously. Once he comes back, he'll be in a less crowded environment when he's playing alongside Kevin. Yeah, that's a very good point in general, and it's, I, I, agree, I agree with you that you made it earlier. Like, you know, the lineups are always going to be weird in the preseason, but even doubly so because Herter is—I think we all agree—is probably your third best player right now, and he's not playing. And he's not playing. Um, Evan Turner, you know, won't necessarily help the offense all that much, but he's a functionally strong NBA basketball player that you're not that you're playing without, and someone who expects to be in a role. So you're playing guys. Maybe not out of position fully, but like Bembry's been the backup point guard essentially for two straight games now. Um, they've been using Cam Reddish at the two pretty much exclusively because they don't have anybody else to play there. Like they basically went into these games with Bembry starting at the two and essentially no backup shooting guard. Now that's kind of, I mean, Charlie Brown to an extent, but 
essentially they're going without Herder and then Crab to a lesser extent. Those were two guys who were expected to play, you know, 40 plus minutes of shooting guard every night and they're not playing. Um, so it's just kind of a lot of weird lineup stuff. Backup point guard has been interesting. Turner's going to fill that role, etc. So there's, it's kind of difficult to parse all of this stuff. So you have to look at big picture and that's probably the best thing that we can do um, when analyzing this uh, two game sample. But I mean, what else have you seen offensively? Like, what are you intrigued by that they're running? Because it seems like they are, it's been a little bit more like egalitarian. Like, people, even when Trey's been on the court, they've been able to run a little bit of that, you know, almost like a no point guard look where he's been playing off the ball a little bit more. Um, when he leaves the court, it's been very free flowing. I guess Bembry's had the ball in his hands the most, and he's kind of been forced to make more plays than you probably want him to make. But, you know, what have you seen offensively on the whole and what they've been using so far? I am absolutely loving what they're doing on offense. It's a lot of, it's a lot of uh, handoffs to get guys going downhill, you know, without a dribble, um, you know, whether it be a DHO or just a simple, like, just a simple, you know, you know, just a simple handoff to where they're getting guys going downhill, trying to create mismatches, uh, of trying to uh, get switches, and then attack, you know, attack the rim to get to the, either to the to the paint to draw a foul or get an open three pointer in the corner. They're they're doing a really good job of getting open looks from the three point line uh, when they're not giving the ball up. And you know they just, I mean it just looks good. Like there are a lot of sets. There's a lot of things I like. Like in particular, something I like to highlight is uh, Jabari Parker just you know doing a hard dribble into the lane and then uh, pivoting to you know hand the ball off do a do a semi DHO with Trey Young. And Trey Young just has, you know, a wide open lane to, you know, do a floater like that. That play in particular looks really good. Um, there are other highlights where, you know, Bembry, Cam Reddish and, and DeAndre Hunter are doing a three man weave at the top of the key, you know, getting a mismatch to where you get DeAndre Hunter on a smaller dude uh, driving into the lane, going to his right hand and finishing with a finger roll. That looks really good. Uh, Cam Reddish run pick and roll looks really good. Uh, you know, even John Collins. Uh, you know, running DHO with Trey Young, where he's kind of just, you know, before Trey's even there, he's dropping the ball off behind him and then setting a hard screen to get Trey Young, you know, f- just cutting right off his hip and getting him downhill. Like these, like these are innovative things. They they ran none of this last season. A lot of what they did was the, you know, the two, you know, Trey Young high, high screen and roll where he either, you know, shot the three or. You know, John Collins dived to the rim and, and got an open look in the corner. That was really their bread and butter, and they ran that to exhaustion. Uh, but now th- this offense looks a lot more versatile, a lot more, a lot more diversity going on. Where a lot of guys have, you know, just rooms to operate, rooms to make plays with the ball in their hands. And you know, to me, I can see where Evan Turner could be good in this offense. Uh, you know, if he if he's being asked to be, you know, a passer in this offense where He's not going to be standing in the corner. He's going to be having the ball in his hands, you know, handing the ball off, setting a hard screen for the other guy in the weave uh, to get them downhill and then potentially getting a mismatch on, on some teams when they inevitably have to switch on it. You know, I think I think there's some good things that the Hawks can come off of this. Granted, you know, they can't turn the ball over 25 percent of the time. They can't <laughs> even turn the ball over how much they did last season. But I do think um, this is going to lead to a better offense in general where it's not so trade reliant i think Uh, they i think they i mean again it's this is it's two games so i don't want to sound like i'm making huge declarations but it feels to me like 
they've known for you know they they've known for months now since basically they acquired Evan Turner maybe even before that that they were going to go with this no back cup point guard situation and I think Lloyd Pierce has known that and I think he clearly has a plan as to how they want to play. Um, it might it might be different. It might be more like last year when Trey's on the court, but I I do think that there are clear signs early on that they're gonna that there's at least a plan in place as to how they're gonna use the offense when Trey's off the court, and that that that's comforting to some degree. You know, I've talked about how much it worries me whenever Trey leaves the court all off season, but and I'm still not beyond the fact where I think they're gonna be good offensively because I don't think that when Trey leaves the court, but. At least they have a, an idea of what they want to do, and that makes me feel better as to you know just how it's going to look. Is it always going to be pretty? No, but this is the kind of scheme that you would want to see a team run when they're going to play without a point guard, essentially. And they do have guys. It will help that Herter's on the court when he plays. Again, just the spacing and his ball handling, too. But you know, having a system that's going to reward them for playing two or three ball handlers at the same time, even if there's not a primary out on the court, which there's not going to be a lot of the time, they do have options and if you throw in Collins as a potential you know maybe not full-on primary creator but someone who can get his own shot and do a little bit more with the ball in his hands and you throw in Parker in addition to all the perimeter guys like Bembry and Turner and Herter and even Reddish and maybe even Hunter to some degree as well like they have guys who are going to have the ball in their hands and are going to be comfortable enough doing that where you know the spacing isn't going to get isn't going to absolutely kill them sometimes it will but at least they're going to have guys who are capable with the ball in their hands which is what you want to see. I wish I wish Herder we could see Herder in these first two th- two games of just because I think he's going to be do really well if this is how the Hawks are going to run because yep. it's going to it's going to get him opportunities at the rim uh, where he doesn't necessarily have to you know face contact you know I I think I think that the way this offense is going to be ran it's going to be set to where Kevin Herder is going to get a free pass to the rim just due to both of his shooting. And then the physicality of the guys he's playing alongside. That's that's something I really want to take away with both ends of the floor. The Hawks appear to be are going to be a very physical basketball team. Um on both ends of the floor. I think they they're they're probably gonna foul a lot. Um, but at the same time, I do like just the you know, the physicality. You know, Zion, when he when he played his first game in Atlanta, he he had a good game, but I felt like the Hawks actually did a pretty good job of contesting him and just they had not a plan giving anyway. up. Yeah, I mean, they 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 weren't they had a plan for Zion. They didn't have a plan for JJ Reddick. Which right, <laughs> but that, I mean that that's you, what killed them. If you watch <laughs> Zion against if you watch Zion against the Hawks and then watched him in, the, in his next game when there was no plan, like you could kind of it made you feel better about what the Hawks were able to do. And I agree, obviously. You know the stats are not good in the way they were able to not defend New Orleans as a whole, but it wasn't Zion that was killing them. Zion got the ball coming, going downhill a couple times, but it wasn't like he just blew them up. And and again, to be fair, uh, that first game, I, again, I think you you talked about it. I've tweeted about it. The Hawks were playing like both teams were playing at such an unreal pace. The like first half, man, it was unbelievable. I, I'm, I'm <laughs> quite I'm quite comfortable in saying like that's not an actual NBA game. Like that's like to me, I was like. Lloyd Pierce wanted these dudes to get some cardio in. Like, he wanted them to play as hard as they physically could, uh, run up and down, be reckless, you know, just get get their wind under their sails because, you know, they weren't really – let's just say they weren't exactly locked into what they needed to do. No. Um, really both ends of the floor. So I'm I'm not too – like, I throw that one – I felt like the, the Atlanta-Orlando matchup was – 
was very insightful, um, particularly on the defensive end. And I can't believe I've gone this long without talking about how well Trey – I mean, really in both games. I have – I don't know who this guy is um, on defense. Um, yeah, let's talk about it because I, I I tweeted it and I said it out loud. I think the his first stint against Orlando, which is about a six-minute stint, it's the preseason, I understand. I tweeted and I, I watched it again and I said the same thing, same thing later. I think that was his best defensive stint of his career. Yeah, I mean, even in New Orleans, he had a couple plays against, I mean, Zion. Like, Zion coming down, like, he on a two-on-one fast break, you saw Trey Young, you know, fake um, the goal against Ingram, and then he went straight to Zion. You know, he called, like, he calls the turnover. And, uh, you know, he was scrapping, getting physical, going after, like, he's something to keep an eye on. I think Trey Young is trying to trying to get his rebounds up. Because he started to steal some rebounds from John Collins, I want to see if that's going to cause some tension between those two. <laughs> uh, but I mean, he, but he, he has eleven but, rebounds in two games. That's, but, that's yeah, more but than just in, but just in general, Trey Young is getting after it on the like getting after it um, physically. You know, he's trying to get steals. Um, he's you know he's helping. That's the path. He's man. just he. he I, I've seen him multiple times not be screened like. Something I thought like something that would uh, was unheard of last year, you know, in the preseason game, teams guy bigs are trying to, to screen him, and lo and behold, uh, you know, Trey Young is you know dipping his hip, dipping his shoulder, and getting through it without any contact. I'm like, what? Who is this guy? Who is this basketball player on the defensive end? Because <laughs> like, if he's going to do this, you know that that doesn't st- like he's still like small. But he's like just in general, he's playing with a lot more physicality. And that's something I want to see if he that carries over on game thirty five in the regular season. Yeah, I mean that's um, I, with a lot of, with a lot of these guys with a lot of these guys because Jabari Parker is also playing with a lot more. Like I am not so far removed from calling Jabari Parker the softest basketball player in the NBA a couple of years ago. He's playing with a lot more heart and physicality on the defensive end, and he's doing it alongside you know G leaguers. And guys who just aren't going to play for the Atlanta Hawks, and and he's you know he's communicating, he's pointing, he's very in tune with what the Hawks want to do. He's trying to play the right way on offense. Um, and I've just in general liked what I've seen from him. But let, again, with Jabari, let's see if this carries over game thirty-five. Um, you know him still coming off the bench for you know for you know John Collins from where. You know, for Jabari, he can probably say he's a much more skilled basketball player. That doesn't mean he's a better basketball player than John Collins, but he is more skilled. And so let let's let's see if Jabari Parker is going to carry this over to Game 35 of the regular season, and especially if the Hawks, you know, aren't you know a 500 team or you know are you know in the in the doldrums in the league. Let let's see if this carries out throughout the season with him. But I've been. I've been really impressed with uh, Jabari as well. His overall package, even though the shots the shots aren't going down, and he's not as efficient as you want to be. In the you know there are still some ISO plays that he's got to cut from his game, but just in general, I, I have liked what I've seen from him, and I think he has a chance to be to have a bounce back. You know, just just have a bounce back season for him to uh, get him back on the right path of, to being a good basketball player in this league. Yeah, I agree with that for sure. I mean, I made note noted that Jabari's effort defensively, and I think it's a good point to carry to see. We'll, we'll see if it carries over, but you know, the effort at least is there. That's what you wanted to see from Parker. It wasn't going to suddenly be great overnight defensively. That was not going to happen. But him trying is half the battle. Like he's not 
he's not completely inept to physical gifts. Like he he can be okay defensively if he gives effort, and that oh. is a good first step. You know, Trey, same thing. I mean, there's a ceiling on Trey's defense. We've talked about that forever, but this is the pack. This is the what you want to see from Trey Young. You want to see activity. You want to see physicality. He's clearly gotten stronger. He talked about that. He looks it as well, standing next to him in the locker room a couple of times and uh, seeing him close up on the court. He looks like he's a little bit thicker, a little bit stronger. That's a good thing, clearly. Um, and using that to his advantage is something that you want to see going forward. And I guess we'll see also on Trey, especially once the workload is a little bit higher, like once he's playing 33 minutes a game and doing more offensively, because I think he sort of, at least by his standards, had it a little bit easy in the first two games preseason-wise on, her, on his offensive workload. And we'll see if he's able to keep the energy up on, on both ends of the floor. Um, but yeah, I, uh, I totally agree with both those things. Um, I want to get to something specifically in a second, but before we get to that, I'm going to take a quick break and we'll come back and talk about defense and rookies and all that fun stuff. So hold on tight and we'll be right back with more from Tyler. All right, Tyler, we're back. Um, Let's go to the defense overall for a second because we referenced it about the Pelicans game. You know, the numbers weren't great there, but there were some intriguing signs. And against Orlando, the offense couldn't score really all night, but the defense at least statistically, was quite good. Um, my question to you, and then we can go down down this hole as far as you want. How much of that was the Hawks, and how much was that? How much of that was the Orlando offense? Because you and I have been talking off on and offline about the Orlando offense all summer. Um, I think they're going to be awful <laughs> offensively. Um, so, you know, I, I do want to give some credit to the Hawks. At least some of this was the Hawks. But how would you sort of put that ratio as to like what you're taking away? Because people were really impressed by the Hawks, and I think that's. A good point, and people were right to be impressed by the Hawks' defense. But opponent does matter in that spot, um, and Orlando is not the team that you're necessarily worried about scoring a bunch of points on you. Well, I mean, considering that last season they couldn't stop the Magic at all. That's a good point. Um, One forty-nine last year, by the way, one hundred and forty-nine points in the last game against Orlando last season. And they are functionally the same basketball team. Um, I mean, they this is the same team except for Marco Fultz, who yikes! I don't, I don't know. When you can't shoot, and listen, I've actually said, this is a digression, but I do think that Fultz can be an NBA contributor without a jump shot, but it's uh, it's not going to be easy. For I mean, Trey Young clowned him on both ends of the floor. Yes. Even on even guarding him, Trey Young was schooling him. On, like, he, Fultz couldn't... He's got to figure out, he's got, Fultz has to figure out life when you can't shoot and everybody knows you can't shoot, because yeah. when he was killing it, in college and was the number one prospect in the draft, you know, he wasn't being defended like he's going to be defended now because everyone knows now that he can't shoot. And if you, if you can't shoot, you're just guarded differently and you got to know how to beat that. And he's not sure. I've always seen them play. I obviously saw the Hawks game. I saw them play one more time um, for, you know, probably a half or so, but in the two stints that I've seen now, Fultz is not, it's not great. Um, So the defense, like even against the Pelicans before JJ Reddick stepped on the floor, followed by Charlie Brown stepping on the floor. I thought the Hawks were playing really good defense. Um, you go rewatch oh, that first quarter. You rewatch that first quarter in particular. They had one set where it was a scramble situation, and all five guys on the floor, which included John Collins at the five, I believe, and Jabari Parker at the four, and they were scrambling their butts off to get close out on guys, and they didn't give up anything. And I think it ended with a 24, either a 24-second violation or a missed um a missed three-pointer i can't i can't remember but it was a, it was a noticeable you know a noticeable string of events something they didn't do and a, a lot of i'm like i, I want to even take away opponent opponent for a second i'm really enjoying what the hawks are doing with deandre hunter 
in general, he and John Collins are just switching every pick and roll. And I think that's going to be such, that's going to be such a boom for the defense. Um, you know, last season they could not switch ever. Cause Torian Prince, we don't want to, we don't, I don't need to belabor that point. But listen, but this, listen the, I was told after one preseason game that Torian Prince was the savior in Brooklyn. So I, uh, you know, I digress. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. But like, one, John Collins has clearly improved his perimeter defense. I, I think I think that's not difficult to see. He's in a much better – like, he's not as high as he was last season. He's getting in a stance. He's moving his feet well, and he's, you know, contesting shots. Granted, he's he's also fouling still, but, you know, whatever. Um, but it, just in general, I have liked what those two in particular are doing, where they're just switching all these screens where they're not giving up a mismatch. And they're not because they're like they're both like sized individuals. They're both strong and they're both moving their feet pretty well. And DeAndre Hunter's defense, just overall defensive impact, has been as advertised. The man does not give up anything easy. He moves his feet. He has long arms. He contests. Uh, you know, going up against him in isolation is just such a non-starter for a lot of players in this league. And I think he like him. He might already be a plus defender in the NBA, probably, and he might end up already being one of the better, just overall defenders, just based on what I've seen from him. It's preseason, I get it, but like, there are just not that many guys his size, his strength, his length who are, you know, just that good. And I even like, like there are even plays where they get beat, like against the Magic. There was one play where Terrence Ross. Through an alley oop for Mo Bamba, but it was it was contested. Like I saw DeAndre Hunter after he passed his man off, fall back to Bamba and try to contest the alley oop that he knew was coming. While John Collins and I think Bembry were all trying to block the shot. Like it's you know these are things they weren't doing last season. Like I'm overall I'm I'm liking the communication that I'm seeing from them. I don't care about the opponent. I don't care about this is just precinct. I'm just trying to look for yep what they're doing differently. And I think communication is a lot better. I think they're playing with a lot more physicality. I haven't talked about Cam Reddish on defense. I really like what Cam Reddish has done off the ball in particular. There, like, there are some plays, like, if you rewatch the Magic game, just watch how smart he is off the ball. Um, He's he saved a lot of guys' butts just by being in the right place, moving his feet off the ball, positioning himself where he needs to be to be a factor defensively and use his length in a positive way. Like he, he's just smart. Like that's, that's the thing. These Cam Reddish and DeAndre Hunter in particular, they're just very high IQ basketball players on both ends of the floor. And that's, that's something the Hawks did not have in their big wings since Tabo Cephalosha to me. Like, yeah, I mean, that's, that's that's flat out. Like I I like, I like base more. I like base more. He's small. He's, he's small. And he's also not as intuitive as you would like him to be. Um, yeah, I mean, he was definitely you know, more of an on-ball player. I mean, exactly. It's something we talked about ad nauseum, I think, over the summer, talking about the draft and stuff. But one of the things that I liked about Cam Reddish, my one of my big checks in the in the positive column about Cam defense was was his defense in college, and a lot of that was the off-ball stuff. Like he, he's he's long, 
He's active. He knows where to be defensively, and that's the stuff that doesn't really doesn't really get you attention. Like obviously the offensive stuff and his high school career, all that stuff, got him more attention. But if there's something that you wanted to take away from his college career in a positive way, it was his defense, and particularly his off ball defense. He he understands what to do on that end of the floor and has the, has the tools to take advantage of it. So I you know that's something that I've really liked about him. DeAndre, we all know, was going to be a great defender I think you know greats necessarily probably a little bit overstating in terms of what we absolutely know but I had no doubt that he was going to be a positive NBA defender um you know we'll see how much he adjusts to the off-ball stuff but on the ball he's already a terror and we kind of knew that was going to happen so just having that physicality is is huge it's not breaking ground for for us to talk about you talked about this all the time as well I know but just having these two you know legitimate six eight six nine combo forwards with real size and physicality is a change because I know Torian Prince is this you know similar size to these guys, but he didn't play with that physicality really at all. I mean, mo- moment there were moments during his rookie season, the last two seasons he he played like a shooting guard, and you know offensively there was value in that, but defensively he didn't bring any of that force. And last year we said we said it a lot, but if you looked at that roster last season, they, they didn't have, they didn't have a single guy like that on the whole team really. I mean, they really didn't have anyone like that defensively for most of the season I mean Justin Anderson was the only guy that was had that sort of that profile and he just made and he just didn't play because and because he couldn't play offense so he, he Justin Anderson couldn't play and also he's not as smart as either of these guys no he's not I'm like, just flat saying out, like flat he, out he, watch, he, he, watching them watching them he's not he's functioning not as smart as what they're doing like there's they are this is these are some high IQ def- defensive players like you even see Hunter's like IQ when he's on the like he'll switch on to a center and it's not an issue. Like, no, I mean he got lauded and rightfully so, like for his defense in college. But you know, all all the stuff that you want to talk about with Hunter, he is not a he at least he wasn't in college. He was not a playmaker defensively, but he was the most fundamentally sound. He just knows what to do defensively. Like he's all he plays angles. He uses his body well. He uses his hands well. Like Hunter, it's not going to necessarily be. Like, he wasn't Matisse Tybel, like, making four steals a game. But Hunter, it's like, I don't know, it's... it's no, re- no, but but it's it's a good... Let, let me let me put a counter. Zion Williamson put up absurd defensive stats yes, in college. he did. He is going to be a bad defender early in his career. He might like, be. I, I mean, there's no question about, like, he won't be... He's not going to be that kind of guy. Like, Zion's going to have to figure some stuff out. I think offensively, we all know it's going to be good right away. But defensively, he's not, he's just not that big. And I know the physicality is there clearly for Zion, but he doesn't have the same easy transition to the NBA that Hunter is going to have. Like, it's, it's not one for one, but Hunter's, his role is just so much more clear defensively. Whereas Zion, you know, the playmaking is probably going to be there. But the, the the fundamentals are not going to be there. The possess the possession to possession yeah. defense to me with Zion like watching these these games, it's just not there. Like he's just he's not in the proper location. Whereas Hunter, you compare that to what Hunter is doing. Like I get it, he's probably not going to be a high blocks of steel guy, even though you know he's he's probably going to be better than what he was at Virginia, just based on <laughs> yeah, you know, just based early, on system. Yeah. Yeah. Based on that, like he's not going to be, but still he's not going to be the high block steel guy, but what he is, he's just going to be good, solid, be where, where everybody needs him to be. And that's, he's one like him, both him and Reddish are two basketball players that they functionally didn't have outside of DeAndre Bembry, who I haven't talked about Bembry. He's looked incredible physically. 
I've liked what he's done. I think he's gonna he's gonna be a real terror on defense. He was last season. He's got a chance to be even better playing alongside better defensive players like Evan Turner, like Cam Reddish, like DeAndre Hunter. Like I think I think we're gonna see real value from him this season. And if the op- if the three point shot can come, that'll be a boom for his career. Where he's I'm like like that's that's the hope. I mean, we, we all we all see. we all know it, but it's you know it's, it's honestly it's not always that simple. Like it'd be good if he did other things well, like finish around the rim. But the shooting is just the only it's the pivot skill. But just to back up what you're saying, he he already has, um, I believe it's five yeah five steals and three blocks in forty five minutes of play. Like Bembry is Bembry is more of a playmaker than I mean he's always going to be that kind of guy. But he's you know his physicality, his anticipation. You know, he may not be the the same physical, like, you know, he just doesn't have the same size as Hunter, for instance. But Bembry, we've talked about his defense forever, but I, one of the reasons I love DeAndre is that, you know, he just guards. Like, and that's why Lloyd Pierce loves him, too. Like, he just is always going to guard. That's the first answer. I think it might have been a question I asked after the first game was about Bembry. And the first thing Pierce said was that we always know he's going to play hard, essentially, and he's always going to guard. And it's like, yep, that's the thing about Bembry. You know what you're going to get. Offensively, it could be a, an adventure sometimes, but defensively, yeah. the baseline is there. Always. But to be fair to him on offense, he is playing, you know, relatively out of position where he's yes. been the primary point guard. You know, he's I think he's more better as a secondary guy. Like, I, I would like to see him a lot play alongside either Evan Turner or Kevin Herter. And have, he's going, and he's having, going to <laughs> eventually. And, and more important. But I have one thing I have, like, just in general, is his ability to get to the free throw line. Yep. Um, he's really getting downhill. He attacks. He's really being physical. And he's finishing a lot – like, he's trying to finish a lot stronger at the rim. So that's been a – for Bembry in particular, that's been a more of a positive. And the one – like, he's really only shot, like, three or four three-pointers. And he – you know, the shot looks fine. Um, but, you know, we, we just got to see it more. And we'll, we will see it once he plays alongside, you know, Kevin Herter and Evan Turner in particular. I agree. I mean, he's he's probably the, the number one guy – who was playing sort of a strange role in the first two games and Pierce acknowledged it, but they basically asked him to play point guard essentially most of his minutes across two games. You know, he, he started, he started with Trey, but they immediately staggered them the rest of the game essentially. So he, he going back to the very beginning of this podcast, he is going to be one of those ball handlers. He's not going to be the only ball handler. And right now the first two games, he's been the only ball handler a couple times on the court. I mean, if you want to include, guys like Hunter and Parker in there than he wouldn't have been. But in terms of just the, the actual perimeter guards, he's not been playing with Herter because Herter hasn't been there. He's not been playing um, with Turner even. He's just kind of been the only option sometimes offensively, and that isn't his best role. Um, so I still I still believe in memory as a solid rotational quality player. And if the offense comes along, we know what the defense is going to be for sure. Um, I wanted to ask – oh, the last thing I want – Last, definitely, and we can talk as much as we want. Um, I wanted to ask you because people have been asking me to talk more about him, and I haven't really done a ton of it in the first two games. What do you make of the other rookie? And that's that's Bruno because Bruno, it's been interesting because he, especially in the first game, like he was playing with some really bad lineups late. Like it was kind of hard to evaluate Bruno in some ways. He's not been getting the first team reps, even probably the second team reps. He's kind of been on the third team almost in these first two games. So it's kind of hard to evaluate him, but of course he is a very popular figure and he's, you know, a top 35 pick. So we have to, we have to talk about him a little bit. It's just kind of tough in some ways to evaluate him, but what have you seen through, I guess it's like 30 minutes of, of NBA basketball for Bruno? Uh, the first game was tough. 
Yeah. Um, he just <laughs> he just looked like it just looked like the game was going way too fast for him. It, did you did he you hear what did you hear what Pierce said after the game? That he was nervous or something. Yeah, like he wasn't even talking. He got he, he got asked about Bruno and Pierce kind of, you know, candidly more than you would think brought up the fact that. It sounded like Bruno was very, very, very nervous, and I guess he kind of had the look of, and Pierce knew that he was not really ready to be out there. It was one of those things where I guess he felt the weight of everything for the first time. Um, and he, Pierce even mentioned the fact that he's the first player from Angola, for instance, to play an NBA game. Like there's some, there's some extra heat that he has on him that guys that you may not expect a second round pick to have coming into the league. And I think Pierce was pretty candid in talking about how that affected Bruno. And to his credit, Pierce said the same thing. You know, game two, he said he. Basically, it was night and day for Bruno. Like he was ready to go. He was calmer. They talked. They had him. They had, they had him sitting with Greg Foster during the game, who's the uh, Hawks assistant, who was a former NBA big man. Um, they had him sort of getting him ready to go before he, before he checked in, kind of talking him through some stuff. And at least on tape, as well as well as as well as, as what Pierce said, he was much much more ready to play in game two. Yeah, he looked. He looked. I mean, to me, he looked really good. Both games. Both games, though, I will say, I have liked what he's done defensively, moving his feet. Um, and you know, just playing with physicality. It was just weird. Game one, he wasn't even rebounding; like he he was just watching the ball. So that was that was confounding. Whereas game two, he was getting after it on both ends. Like he was just flying around, playing with force, playing with that physicality that you need somebody of his size and skill level to do. Um, something that I that I you know just do like like he does. He's he has a lot of ball skills. Um. Like he he can do things with the ball in his hands. He looks to be he has the profile of eventually becoming a good passer for a big man. Um, and you know he's pretty athletic. Like it's just you can see the tools in the toolbox. Now the yep. question is, can he put it all together to be a good you know NBA player in this league? And I think he can, but it's probably going to take some time. Yeah, I mean he has he has more experience than a you know. As a rookie big man, second round pick, his role is going to be pretty limited on this team. Like he's going to play, but he's not going to be a primary offensive option. For instance, like he's just going to kind of be asked to do what big men do in the modern NBA that are not stars, just kind of fill a role. But you know, to your point about him having the ball in his hands, like he he was a he was a very high usage player in college. Like he was, if not the best player on that team, he was one of the two best players his entire career there. He played with Kevin Herter, you know, two years ago, and this year he was the best player on the team pretty comfortably and like he, he had a lot of experience that some bigs don't have even the guys who become you know high-end draft picks don't always have the kind of offensive you know primary experience that Fernando had in college and it wasn't always great but like his numbers his efficiency was really good in college so you can see what he was able to do there and I agree with you like the physicality is just what jumps off the page to you with Bruno always like he just looks like he's chiseled out of stone and he's ready to go as an NBA player with that but there is a little bit more room to grow there offensively than you might think defensively it's all about execution like if he plays hard in the way that he did in game two there's a nice baseline there because he, he can just make he could just make plays and affect the game as a rebounder and just to use his physicality he also made a three in the second game he made his only three that he attempted which is nice to see i'm not sure how much that's real but it, it did look good i mean it, the, the stroke is not broken by any means like it looks like he's closer to being a shooter than Damian Jones is. I know Jones made one as well, but if you had to ask me just based on mechanics and all that, I would lean on Bruno. Um, and defensively, you know, both guys are not necessarily fantastic, but Fernando's upside defensively is 
pretty good if he figures it out. He's just going to be a rookie for a while, and most rookie centers, with very few exceptions, are bad defensively early on, just because they, they don't they have to figure out what they're doing, and they're asked to do a lot. Last thing that Pierce said about about Fernando is that they want him to be more vocal defensively, and that's the big thing when you're playing center in the NBA. You have to call the defense, and you have to point things out, and that's kind of like the final frontier for a guy for the, for a guy's light coming on defensively is being able to kind of just captain the defense on the back end. He's not there yet, but it's preseason number two. Like I'm not really worried about that, but that's that's the big thing that guys have to remember about rookie big men is that you have to get to the point where you can be that anchor. And even guys who were pretty good defenders in college, it takes them a while. Yeah, and but I, I do think like his potential is to be one of the better shot blockers in this league. I do like his instincts on that front. Um, you know, he's just he's long and he's athletic and he has great feet and he's got good in- anticipation when it comes to blocking shots. And I think I think that's something to keep track of. I, it wouldn't shock me if he, he if he um, earns himself some minutes uh, fairly early, uh, depending on, you know, Damian Jones, who I, I think we should also talk about um, yeah, as they, well. They, they've clearly treated, and we'll talk about Damian in a second, um, they've clearly treated Damian Jones as more of a rotation player early on. I know they're playing everybody, but you saw it in game two, like they didn't play a couple of the Exhibit 10 guys, like Derrickson didn't play, Cybert didn't play. They started cutting it down a little bit. Taj McCall didn't really play until the very, very end. They kind of went with the roster guys, and it's been Jones. He started the first game, and then he was the first big off the bench in the second game. I think early, and this is something I've been saying for a while, it's going to be Jones ahead of Fernando in the early going, which I know fans will be frustrated by, but it's just kind of the nature of the beast. I agree, though, that Fernando's, Fernando's going to play. I'm not sure he's going to play every game. Like Pierce said the other night that um, game one, he doesn't want to play a super deep rotation, which kind of surprised me, but if that is the case... You could certainly see a DNPCD from Fernando in Game One. That would not surprise me. But he's gonna he's gonna play eventually. Like it's not gonna take very long. Yeah, and um, to move on to Damian, yeah, uh, he was a lot better Game Two than Game One. Yes, Game Game One, I was like I rewatched the game because at first I thought you know Damian played you know pretty well, um, you know relative to Fernando, and then I watched it again. I was like, man, he might have been worse. He was just never in position. Not in a stance. Like when he was in a stance, he was fine. But he, like, there was just multiple sets where he just wasn't in a stance and he just got worked um, by by you know everybody um, going at him. Uh, game two, he was a lot better. He was you know in lockstep with what everybody else was doing. He was in position, playing with force, athleticism, and physicality, what you want. Um, but you know he's a guy. He's a guy we, you know, we got to monitor because we just don't have that much film on. I do like his willingness to shoot the corner three-pointer, um, even when he's guarded there. I think that's important. Uh, you know, it looks it looks good enough, you know, from the corners at least, to where I think he can hit enough to where the center has to, you know, be concerned about him. And that's that's really all I want. I just want the center to have to be pulled away from the rim so that, you know, the other guys can, you know, attack the basket without a shot blocker. So I think I think that that's a positive and his finishing is legit. Um, I do like I do like his finishing around the rim, even though he hasn't done it that much. But, you know, he looks to be one of the better finishers in this league. And I'm not I'm not too concerned that, you know, the numbers aren't there right now. But it's, no. it's really defense. It's really defensively with him. That game once scared me. 
because um, that you know he just he just has to be good on that end. Of the well, floor, it, it made me period. it made me remember some of the stuff that I was you know I reached out to, to some people behind the scenes after the trade to kind of get a feel of what they thought about him that covered him in Golden State, and then even talked about this a little bit more on Dunk Don with Nate who covered him a lot in, in Oakland and basically everyone was skeptical of Damian Jones defensively, um, which is interesting because like he he has center size and you might think that it was uh it'd be more the other end that you'd worry about in the modern nba but the offense you can kind of see what the game plan is for him like you know just finisher and the fact that he can maybe shoot a little bit but the defense was the concern that everyone raised to me in reaching out to people so you know i watched a, i watched as much as i could of damian jones before he got here but like you said the sample was relatively limited so we're kind of learning a little bit more on the fly but that first game did scare me because of because of what he showed on the court and also because of what i'd heard it's like oh maybe this is going to be as rough as people might have made it seem like it was going to be defensively and then game 2 was better um it's all preseason and i think yeah but it's just a, you know, he's not going to be a plus defender, I don't think, based on what I've been able to gather about this. But if he's okay, he's still going to be, I think, ahead of Fernando at the start of the season. And with Len, it clearly limited to some degree. I mean, they've only played Len 15, 15 minutes in both of the first game, first two games. That was intentional, and that's something that Pierce said. And he was listed on the injury report before the season started. I think Len is by far the best center. That's not breaking ground on, on the podcast today. But if he's at all limited when they open the season... I think it'll be Jones that gets some of those minutes, and then the other ones are going to go to some combination of Collins and Fernando at center. Um, but Jones is going to play, I think. I'd be pretty surprised if he's not in the rotation opening night, at least. Yeah, and uh, I just want to talk about Alex Lynn as well, since we're talking about everybody. Yeah. He looks really good. I mean, I know he might be hurt, I guess, but I mean... I think it's more soreness. He, he does, I, th- I think he's not really hurt. I think it's more more limited because they're just being careful the same way that they were with kind of everybody so far. I, I don't think that Len is actually like hurt. He's just kind of getting a slow start because he was banged up before training camp opened. Agreed. But I mean, he just looks good. Like he, yeah. you know, rolling hard to the rim. He's catching everything. It's early. It's preseason and blah, blah, blah. But, you know, his hands are concerned. And, you know, he just looks like they've always been just like a. I mean, he flat out just looks like a good basketball player. And on defense, you can tell he's by far the best, you know, defensive big on, on this team. And, and he isn't—he's he, not incredible, but he, there is something to be I said mean, for being set for being seven two and being physical. Like that's yeah, he's seven two. He's physical, and he's—you know—he knows what where to be on the floor. He's fine. Like, he's not great, but he's fine defensively. He's—he's he's fine. I've—I've—I've. I think he has a chance to be good, but we'll see. I, I think he I, can be. Like he made he made I, I strides like, last year too. He was better than I he mean, used to and, be. And I feel like and I feel like he he was moving his feet pretty well in both games. Um, you know, for, considering how big he is, like I, I think he's. I thought he was moving his feet a bit better than what he was last season. And I mean, overall, I, I flat out, Alex Lynn is just a good basketball player, especially with his shooting, which is legit. Like he is getting these puppies up. He's getting open, no hesitation doesn't matter if you're close if you're not in his uh, airspace it's going up and it looks good uh and that's just a that's just a weapon combined with his ability with his other skills as an offensive player like he's just like he's got a chance to be a sneaky you know you know Zach Lowe's talked about it that he had a sneaky good season last season but I think this year like he's he's gonna come up on some money um, this is his free agent year, and, and like he has the potential to really show out this season. And if he just does what he did last year on a bigger scale with more minutes, like he's going to make some money. I mean, centers don't get paid in the way they used to, 
But if you prove yourself to be like even a low end starter, like which I think Alex Len can look like this season, um, he's gonna get some money. I and mean, he's st- he's still fairly young. I mean, people kind of forget how young he is, and that was some, that one, one of my arguments last uh, two years, I guess you know, year plus now, when they signed him was like, guys, he's still young. Like I know he was in the league for a while, but he was a top five pick for a reason. That was an overdraft, but he's still a talented guy who is in his mid twenties. Like he's not. It wouldn't be surprising. It shouldn't be surprising anybody if he keeps improving because he's in that. He's still in the age range where guys can keep improving. Yeah, agreed. And uh, I want to talk about uh, John just for a second. Um, hopefully, hopefully not. Hopefully, never replicating what he did against Orlando in, in the rest of his career. Because man, he was a, a genuinely <laughs> bizarre game where he was literally just playing himself out of good situations on offense, like just. You rewatch the game, it's just like, why didn't you just shoot that? Or why did you, like, run right at Jonathan Isaac when you had an open lane on the left side of the rim? Like, I don't I don't understand your decision-making here, big guy. But, uh, yeah. Lloyd Pierce described the, described the night as, and I'm quoting now, one of those nights, end quote, yeah. for John Collins. And he was laughing when he said it. Like, there was no one's, no one's worried about John Collins, but it was, uh, it, it became sort of lighthearted just because he was so bad and everybody knew it. And it was kind of fu- just funny to see Lloyd kind of light up a little bit when he was asked about John. Cause it was like, you could, you could tell he had probably a little, a little nudge for his young big man after the game. Like, I know no one's, no one's worried at all, but man, it was just kind of funny. I said it to somebody after the game. I can't remember who it was. Maybe it was somebody in the media. I can't remember, but I said, would it surprise anybody if that was the worst he's ever going to be again in the rest of his career? Like it shouldn't be like, he shouldn't ever be that bad again, ever. Agreed. Like it was just, it's, <laughs> objectionably one of the worst games from him probably in his life. Uh, but defensively, something I would be concerned about, uh, particularly when he plays the five, is defensive rebounding as a team. Uh, I think if Lloyd Pierce is going to play him at the five, he should only play him when the other team are playing fives that aren't that big or physical. Like who are, you know, who are, you know, just physical players who go after offense rebounds. Julia Okafor, like he just had no chance to grab a defensive rebound against him. Um, Jonathan Isaac was skying up over him. That that Jonathan Isaac grabbing offensive rebounds over him was a bit more bizarre, but that's something to monitor. Where uh, you know maybe they switch the matchup between him and Aaron Gordon, like have DeAndre Hunter guard Isaac just so that he can have more length. Because, you know, John isn't that long. And I think that's something that's just to me, that's something I would monitor as a coach and be like, okay, how about we just put John Collins on Aaron Gordon, who's, you know, he's not a he's not a three either. I wouldn't be concerned about about his him drip like John Collins can guard Aaron Gordon and they're like size guys, whereas Isaac just has such a height and length advantage over him. That's whereas he wouldn't have that over Hunter. That's just something if I'm the head coach. You know, a matchup I would monitor just going forward during the season of, of those types of basketball players giving John Collins problems on on the glass. Yeah, I mean, to, to, your, to your point about the rebounding real quick, like the Hawks, it's it's two games, but they're 29th in defensive rebounding in in uh, percentage-wise, and that's not a surprise based on what they're going to play. There's some mixed messages going on about how much Collins is going to play the five because on one hand they say that they want to play him there a little bit more, and on the other they, they definitely resist – like talk of it. It's just kind of funny to me. Like they're going to do it, I think, 
But and they're set up better to do it now. One of the reasons why we we talked about this a lot last year, but one of the reasons why they couldn't play Collins at the four at the five more was because they didn't have a small ball four. <laughs> they just didn't have one on the team. And um, th- and this is where not having Evan Turner probably hurts. Yeah, and cause... but but I mean even even with that said, like that I agree with you on that number one. But they're just set up better now to do it anyway because they they have these big physical wings to bring it full circle. They didn't have someone like DeAndre Hunter last year who was a legit 6'8", 6'9", with good length and good strength that they could play next to John Collins and defend anybody. Like, Torian Prince wasn't going to be able to do that. So, and I know they have Vince Carter. Like, Vince Carter is technically a small ball four, but Vince isn't going to go out and, like, save you defensively with his physicality. Like, he can be in the right place, but just, you know, he's not going to move people the way that Hunter is capable of doing and the way that Turner even is capable of doing. So, that's going to open the door for that, but I, I, I agree. I mean, it's just weird. Like, I think they're going to play Collins more at the five, but... More of the five does not suddenly mean, you know, 12 minutes a game. Yeah, but here's the thing. If they're going to play him at the five, I also think, like, just in general, they should probably switch up the matchups depending on who is the center. Like, against the Pelicans, like against the Pelicans, for example, I would much rather Jabari Parker guard Jaleel Okafor just because he's a lot bigger, right? Yeah, that's, that's, I mean, plus... just, Just get the size out there so that we're not, we're not in this mismatch situation where John Collins is having to, Guard, guard someone who's just functionally a lot bigger than he is, and there's and John Collins doesn't have the length to guard that. And I think that I think that's something really easy you can see in the film, like that. Everything I'm talking about, like, is stuff that they can they can easily be like, okay, we're gonna put you know Collins on when 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 he's the quote unquote small ball center, we're gonna have actually Jabari Parker guard this type of center, um, only because we got to clean up the boards because that that has been an issue. That's something we probably we're going to need to monitor going through the season they should be a, a much better they should be a good defensive rebounding team based on the physical talent that they have but they haven't so far early in this early in the preseason and that's something we we're going to want to monitor going forward yeah i mean if you're playing collins as a full-time four and hunter as a full-time three and get anything from your center defensively on the glass that's the recipe for being a pretty good defensive rebounding team because John Collins, while he's not big for a center by any means, is still bigger than most power forwards and plays with more physicality than most power forwards in the NBA. So, and rebounds, you know, more offensively, but still defensively, you know, I've, I've said plenty that Collins was not a great defensive rebounder last year, but he's still, when compared yeah, to other fours, not, he's, is fine. He's not a great defensive rebounder. He's also not bad. No, he, right? especially, especially I mean, the four. Like, his, if he said the four, it's in- fine. Yeah, his individual defensive rebounding rate has consistently been above the twenties. Um, I know that 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 doesn't account for what the team is when he's on the floor, but like he's fine. He's good enough. It's just been weird that he in particular hasn't been getting rebounds. The but you know we also got to take it with a grain of salt. The Magic game was they're, really they're weird. Huge. Where, they're huge too. I mean, they're the, just one. They're, they're huge. they they are, and two. Like there were a couple of plays where John Collins just mistimed his jump. Um, there, are, you know, there have been a, he's he's fumbled the ball too. Like his hands hasn't been there, and that's something I did. I think we both noticed at the beginning of last season when he came back, is that his hands just weren't there. Like he was dropping a lot of balls, and that like he's probably somebody who needs to get in a rhythm just by playing more. So I I wouldn't be too concerned about his rebounding, but it is something to monitor either. because it has been really bad. Like that, it's been noticeably bad, and I feel like John Collins in particular has been bad on that front and that's something he shouldn't be uh based on what he's done done in his career yeah i agree i mean 
between that, it's it's worth pointing out that I don't think Reddish is going to rebound as a rookie. Like he didn't rebound in college. He has only has three rebounds total in his I think 30 minutes so far it's that's a very small sample size but I don't think Cam's gonna like be some beast defensive rebounder early on in his career Damian Jones is just okay uh Bruno's gonna rebound when he plays but we'll see Alex Len, you know hot and cold on the glass he was pretty yeah, good actually in Phoenix yeah but, um and he was he was for the team when he was on the floor he was he was good yeah the Hawks were a good that's their their that's, best that's rebound, their best rebounding front right now is essentially playing Hunter Collins and Len together which happens to be their starting five you'd imagine so that you know there are worse things <laughs> yeah and the more and the more they play together the more you know that that total should tick up I mean Alex Len functionally hasn't played that much yeah I, I'm looking forward everybody. to seeing a game in which Len plays like 27 minutes just to see how the team sort of works around that and Pierce did say that one of the games this week the Hawks play three times they play Monday Wednesday and Thursday one of the games is going to be sort of a dress rehearsal my money this is a guess by the way because he did not say he specifically did not say I think I'd actually bet on Monday but maybe it might be Wednesday I can't imagine they're going to play hard in both of the back-to-back because that's just not going to happen I would imagine that most of the guys that you care about are not going to play two days in a row like I would be stunned if Trey and John played real minutes in two straight on two straight days in the preseason but um, one of these games, we're going to see a close to NBA starting level rotation from Pierce. And he just doesn't, he didn't say which one, but it's going to happen this week at some point. And we'll learn some stuff about how that's all going to look. And then just the last thing on the rebounding, also not having Evan Turner is probably hurt because yep. uh, he's a good rebounder. Uh, just in general, so particularly at the in the backcourt where he's going to be playing some minutes. Yeah, like he's a, yeah. He, he goes from being a solid rebounder to if he's pl- effectively playing point guard, quote unquote, he's suddenly an elite rebounder. So yeah, point guard on offense, he's probably going to be the the small ball, like they said, the small, small ball, ball four on defense, defense yeah. on certain lineups. But even then, with that, like if you watched him against the like the reason why I'm optimistic about Turner is that you know he had a rough season last year. Um, but that Nugget series, like he saved Portland's butt because uh, they had nobody that can guard Paul Millsap until Evan Turner showed up, and he just battled. And so that's like he's phys- like he's he's not as big as you think he is, but he's super physical and he's strong, and that you know that that means a lot. And you know he he's he's a smart basketball player on the defensive side, and so that's that's something the Hawks have missed, and hopefully we get to see him next week. Yep, hopefully that's going to come in soon. Um, I know we've we've gone long because that's what you and I do whenever we talk. Um, anything else that you wanted to get to before we uh, break? And you'll be back, um, I'm sure, fairly soon, and we will pick up where we left off. Um, and of course, you'll be talking to Kevin at some point along the way as well. But anything that you want to touch on now before we get to you know three more preseason games, we'll we'll learn some more stuff. But we've seen a decent amount so far. But so any any final thoughts on that you wanted to share? I mean. <sighs> We raved about DeAndre DeAndre Hunter's defense, but his offense has been really good too. Yeah, like, that's a good just, point. Uh, be like one, the shooting looks outstanding. Just it just looks like he's going in every time he shoots it. Uh, so like his stroke looks great, and then his ball skills like the stuff he's doing in the pick and roll. It's hard not to be excited about. Like it's like he when when he gets an advantage, he's really good at getting to the getting into the lane and, and like he's gonna have a I think the um the uh the uh finger roll is gonna be a sig- signature play of, of his because it looks really good. Like he's just super long and he knows how to use it to get that extension 
And he's a lot more athletic than he got credit for. Um, I know um, a lot of people bagged on his athleticism. To me, he looks like a really good athlete. Uh, you know, he had one play against Pugs where he finished above the rim with two hands. You know, he he has a lot more explosion than he gets credit for, and I think that's going to show up in his finishing around the rim. Like, he's just overall, like, overall, he's got a chance to be really good in this league. Um, and I'm, I'm, like, I was, you know, I I went from being a super hater of his <laughs> early on because I hated how Virginia played. Then I actually watched the games that he played in, and I became a fan, and now I'm, like, I'm all in on him. Like, he looks to be really good, and he's going to be re- – like, I feel like it's I, – I, I find it hard to believe he's not going to be really good really early in his career because he's just – I mean, he's just good. He's fundamentally sound, and he makes the right plays on both ends of the floor. Like, it's just such a boon to have somebody that good at the small four position. I think that's going to help the Hawks tremendously this season. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I love him. I've, I've, always, I've always loved him. I do think – um, offensively, he's looked better than I thought he was going to look through two games. It's two games, but that's worth pointing out there. I, I would point out, I'm not criticizing because this is something that I've said before, but there was a, a player two in the second game where you kind of saw why people are a little bit worried about, worry is the wrong word, a little bit skeptical of his offense to some degree. Like he's not someone who's going to catch the ball at a rebound and go coast to coast a lot. Like in the open, yeah. in the open floor, you can kind of see the limitations with his ball handling and his creativity that's not really what he's going to do but I, I like the way you put it like as an advantage scorer there's a lot of talent there that's something he did a lot at, at Virginia and he took too many mid-rangers at Virginia which I think they probably want to get out, get out of the system to some degree but he, he knows he knows how to use his body he's just, he's just so fundamentally sound on both ends like he just knows how to get where he's going and play angles and get advantages and take advantage of them so I mean I, I've always liked him I've always loved him frankly um, offensively, I do think that there is, you know, people are getting a little bit carried away in some circles now, but that, that's fine. It's early, get carried away because he, he was already very good offensively. Like he showed what you wanted to see him show. The ceiling, you know, is up for debate, I suppose. But I do think that in some corners, his offense is underrated because he can be an advantage scorer and he can shoot um, already. And I think he's going to be a positive offensive player, which if you're looking for people that were, more skeptical of Hunter. I think most people acknowledge that he was going to be able to play defense. There was some range on how good his defense is going to be, but kind of everyone knows he's going to be a good defender. The question was about his offense, whether he was just going to just only be a catch-and-shoot guy or whether he had something else. And I've always been on the side of he has more than just catch-and-shoot. The catch-and-shoot is going to be his, probably his biggest thing, but if he can give you that sort of secondary face-up game and attack the rim and do a little bit of secondary pick-and-roll stuff, that's all you need him to do, and he looks good at it already. Yeah, and then also Cam Reddish, you know, the numbers aren't there, but, I, you know, just in general, it's a lot better what he's doing in the ball in the hands. Like, he's able to get by his guys, you know, whether it, with a pick and roll or without it. That's something he wasn't able to do last season at all at Duke. Um, and he's, I mean, he's looked good with the ball in his hands. Like, he's got a, he's just got a lot of skill as a basketball player. Um, yep. He, know, looks he, he looks quite good. I mean... As much as you could say that he struggled a little bit with his shot in the second game, he shot it well in the first game. The the jumper looks good. It's always looked good, but you know it just looks smooth in the NBA. He looks comfortable. The defense we talked about earlier. Offensively, some of the finishing concerns popped up, I would say. Um, he doesn't always look explosive around the rim. There was one that was real bad. I'm trying to remember who, uh, against which game it was, but there was one that was like, oh, that's what you don't want to see about his finishing. But 
I, I still think that he's looked better than anyone could have thought realistically hoped for in the first two games. There's a lot of learning curve and you could certainly tell it. This is more, maybe this is just my media stuff coming out in me, but you can kind of tell when you hear Pierce and some other guys talk about Cam Reddish versus DeAndre Hunter, Pierce does not hold back in like kind of effusive praise of Hunter. Like he's pretty glowing about Hunter and they're all really positive about Reddish too, but it's, it's much more couched in when we see what we can figure out what to do with Cam kind of stuff. Like whereas Hunter, it's just kind of just blanket positive, and with Reddish, it's still positive too. But there's there's a little bit of they're still figuring this out, and that was always going to happen. I mean, Reddish was a one and done that struggled that struggled in college, and then got a late start. So none of that's none, none of that's surprising. But you can kind of you can kind of see where they are in their development based on the way that they're discussed. At least for me, maybe I'm reading too much into that, but I just I, I feel yeah. That way. But again, to be fair to Reddish, like he literally hasn't played basketball. Oh, I know. I mean, no, so. it's it's justified. And again, Reddish has looked good, like looked better than I thought he was going to look through two games. And like, there's nothing wrong whatsoever with him taking his time. I just think it's important to point out mostly to fans. Like I think people are starting to see them on the same plane. And I think right now today, Hunter is, Hunter is quite a bit ahead of Reddish in terms of Absolutely. what's going to actually happen right now. I, Reddish is still really talented and I like that pick and all that stuff, but Hunter's just a lot more ready to go right now. Than, than Reddish is. Agreed. I, I mean, just, just the overall package though, like, and it, it, it does feel like he feels that he's healthy because yes. he's not shying away from contact. Like and he's been saying he's it too. I mean, he's, he's, he's going about himself. It. I mean, he's not finishing, but I like you know the he had two plays against the Magic where he was going up strong with his left hand yep. trying to finish through contact, and that's he'll learn. You know, he too. drew he I drew mean, a foul on one of them, and that, I mean that's that's what you want from somebody of his size and his ball skills. Uh, yeah, the sh- the shootings are the shootings gonna. I'm not sure what he's gonna what what percent what, what percentage he's gonna shoot, but the stroke looks good. He already has some gravity. He's gonna get guarded out there, um, and we'll see what everything else happens offensively. But he's also comfortable with the ball in his hands. I mean, the ball handling. He turned the ball over a ton in college, but his pick and roll numbers were actually good as a scorer. So like he's comfortable creating things, and I, you know, I still like Cam Reddish quite a bit. Like I think he has a chance particularly in this system and with this coaching staff and with guys around him to be quite good. Like I like Cam Reddish quite a bit. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I mean, as much as they, it's kind of funny to say this through two games, the Hawks have been outscored by, I believe 33 points. And I've pretty much been as positive as I could be about the, like nothing. There's been some questions. We've talked on some of them uh, on this podcast, but I think it's been a generally positive preseason so far. Um, Injuries, injuries aside, I suppose, well, I want to see what Kevin Herter looks like and Evan Turner, hopefully the Achilles thing. You know, Pierce did downplay the severity of that, so hopefully that's not a real thing that's going to bother him. But on the court, it's been pretty positive. The turnovers are the, kind of the only thing that is just, like, jarringly terrible, and hopefully they'll slow down. Agreed. And uh, just one final note, Trey Young has looked really good. Just overall, like, he looks, he looks like – He's trying to be one of the best players in this league today. Like he just, especially on offense, the turnovers aside, like he just has a command on the offense, and he's, I mean, he just looks great out there. Like something the Hawks haven't had he ever. Is, he is very good. Uh, yeah, I mean, this is a big picture thing, but if you're looking at offense, offense only, um, you could probably you could pretty easily say I would think that Trey has the highest upside since Dominique with the Hawks because like looking back 
they were good in the mid '90s, but they didn't really have the number one guy. Like you know, Steve Smith was really good, um, but he wasn't you know a super duper star. The Joe Johnson teams, Joe was really good, but Joe was an all star, but not a top ten player at any point. For instance, offensively, like I, I think Trey Young, maybe not this season, but two years from now, I think I can pretty comfortably say he'd be the best offensive player since Neek on the Hawks. Like you know, agree. I'm I'm. I'm definitely in the tank and will always be for Millsap and Horford. Those guys were incredible and like top 20 players in the league, but that was a lot because of their defense. Like they were really good on offense too, but Trey is the dynamic offensive player that they just haven't had like in my lifetime, essentially. <laughs> like I was alive when Neek was playing, but I was too young to know what was going on. So yeah, it's just, it seems kind of strong to say that, but it's really not. If you, if you go back and look at it, he has the, uh, he has the offensive talent and upside that they just haven't had. In a long yeah, time. just just ever the type of and like that's the type of superstar talent that you need to order to win a championship, like just flat out. And so that that's why that's where the overall positivity from this Hawks team comes from. Like Trey Young just connects so many of these guys to play their best basketball on offense, and you know with how well Hunter Reddish Bembry have played defensively. Um, even John Collins too, like I said, with the switching, switching, you know, just, just switching in general and the communication that they've shown, like, I think Trey Young's going to be really good this season. And, you know, it's, it's, it's going to be fun to watch this year for this team. Yes, it is. Uh, again, like Tyler, you can join whenever you'd like to on the podcast. Uh, we'll talk much more throughout the campaign. And I know you'll be talking with Kevin too. So tell people where they can find you and your other stuff that's going on um of course your anime takes as well they're always out there so yeah yeah you can uh <laughs> you can find me um i'm you know co-host alongside kl chenard uh kevin at uh atl and 29 you can find that where you can find all the podcasts um itunes spotify you know whatever all those good stuff and then also you can follow me at jonesy 2x4 on twitter uh, where I, you know, I got I got the takes. Um, I had I had a pretty extensive rant about the Braves. So if you wanna you wanna read all the problems with that organization, you can do that. Um, as well as you know, I typically have good and I feel like I have pretty good anime and video game takes. But uh, I, <laughs> I guess I that, honestly have no idea. Like I uh, I I, see I love them. it. I love it. I I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty sure a lot of the, my followers have no clue what the heck I'm talking. Yeah, about. I don't. I'm one of those it people. Remi- it remind- it honestly reminds me because I am following a couple guys who talk about. Um, I think it's either League of Legends or Overwatch, and I'm like, I have no idea what they're talking about. Uh, I'm not in that video game sphere. I'm more of a JRPG um, fighting game guy. Like that's that's really my 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 lane when it comes to video games um, and whatever you want to classify Fire Emblem as. That, that's my lane as a as a video game player, but. Uh, you know, it, it is funny when I, when I tweet some stuff. I mean, even you, Brad, when you the, some of the gambling stuff you have, I'm like uh, two to one odds. What the hell does that mean? Like, I, I and I'm a math person. I should know, and I've been told what it means. But I, every time I, 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 I hear it, I can teach you very quickly. Um, I mean, I, no, no, that's the thing. Every time I hear it, <laughs> like every time I'm taught, I understand completely. Like, oh, that makes perfect sense. Then I see it again. I'm like, what the hell is this? Yeah, and we, uh, we all have our things that we do. Uh, it's just it's just what it is, man. We uh, we all join together and talk about the NBA. And uh, I personally, my, my favorite part about your Twitter account is your is your in-game Hawks stuff. Especially when you, my favorite thing, and it's kind of uh, hilarious that we're talking about this now, but is when you get frustrated and start melting down in-game. And I just start 
mostly cracking up, especially when I'm sitting next to Kevin at a game and Kevin and I are just talking about everything that you're saying on Twitter. So we, we always enjoy it. It's, it's fun for me. <laughs> yeah. And by the way, you're, uh, by the way, you're almost, I, I almost always agree. It's just, it's just, you could say things that I can't say in public, which makes yeah, me, uh, especially with my locked account currently. It makes me, I, it makes know. me jealous sometimes that you could just go off and without repercussion. And I, I really enjoy that. So it's going to be, it's going to be an interesting year this year because I, I, I generally like all the guys on the team. Whereas the last couple of years, uh, you know, there, there are certain guys that I've absolutely hated, you know, watching every game, but. I look, forward, I, I look forward to your attacks on Damian Jones by November. No, you, you, I'm kidding. You, you'll, you'll find you'll find somebody. We always find somebody. I mean, yeah, I'm, I'm the same way. You're, I think we're just if you watch this much basketball and this and this this much of one team, there's always a, a guy or two that are gonna grind on your uh, on your gears. And uh, I think people know who my guys have been recently. Um, they're not on the team anymore, so we'll see. And and to be and to be fair, those guys don't necessarily mean they're bad basketball players. No. Uh, I hated Peril Antich, and he was objectionably great for the Hawks <laughs> in his year. But I hated watching him play because he couldn't rebound, he couldn't block shots, he couldn't shoot at all, and he you know he couldn't finish at the rim. But every time he was on the floor, the Hawks were a better basketball team for it. It made no sense. And I hated every second he played, but it worked like that, that, like they say, the junk worked. And so, you know, that just, just goes to show, like, even if I am grilling on somebody, like his overall impact on the team probably is positive. Um, if you look at the advanced metrics or whatever, but there you the, go. the last, the last couple of guys, no, that that's objectively not true. They were, just, <laughs> they were miserable. Oh, uh, we could leave it there. Uh, Tyler, thank you for joining me as always, my friend, uh, Tyler, you just, he, he just said where he could find, where you can find all of his stuff, but, uh, follow this man on Twitter, listen to the ATL on 20 M podcast and also subscribe to this podcast. We, uh, did a crossover actually, Kevin and I, uh, last week or week before that. So hopefully you guys check that out on uh, both feeds and click the download button, all that stuff. There's plenty of room for all of us in this space and uh yeah our plan uh, next podcast for me will be after the game monday night unless something crazy happens so uh, stay tuned for that thanks again to tyler and we'll see everybody then